Profit Day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hearthstone Deck Techs. Today, we're not talking about a deck. Instead, we are going to focus on two important traits that you should have as a player, especially if you're trying to hit Legend. Um, but you should have these traits regardless of what your goal is in the game. Okay? Um, I think a lot of people feel that once they've hit legend they've determined that they're you know one of the best players in the world and their opinion is always right and their outlook on the game from that point on always has value and merit because they've achieved legend and while legend is a a goal that you should be happy about attaining it should not be the end goal okay it's important to always be wanting to improve as a player that I, for me personally, I feel that that is one of the most important goals at becoming the best you can be at whatever it is you do. You should always, always try to build self-improvement, be better than you were yesterday, regardless of what you do in your, in your life, whether it be playing games whether it be at your job, whether it be in your fitness, whether it be in your love life, whatever it may be, you should always strive to be the best version of yourself. Okay? So today we are talking about mindset and mechanics. Okay? Mindset being what you can do as a person before you ever get into playing a Hearthstone game to become better at it. And mechanics being, what are the typical things you can do whenever you're in every game, uh, mechanic-wise, to help improve your win rate? Now, I myself am not a top 10 Legend player. I don't hit Legend every season. You know, I'm not on the HCT tour or whatnot. You know what I mean? So if you're looking for that opinion, you can go elsewhere. But what I am, what I, what I am is a competitive player in many, many games, a successful businessman, successful husband, and I have a load of information that I want to share. Some of it may not always be like the best solution, but I'm certain that what I'm going to talk to you about today, um, will make you a better player. You know, some of it you probably already do. You don't even need to know. Um, maybe you already know it, right? But maybe this will provide you, as a listener, with um, with more reassur reassurance that what you are doing is on the right track. Okay? So let's talk about mindset first. Things that you need to accept in the game without even having to play, without even thinking about the actual skill and fundamentals of the game uh, to be better, okay? The number one thing, or the first thing, that I'm not ranking these in any particular order, is variance. Accepting that sometimes things do not go your way. You know, and you can use these for life, okay, uh, as well. If you look at HS replays, you can see the win rates of popular decks, you know, let's look at the best deck in the world right now, the deck that everybody complains about. Let's talk about Wild. Let's talk about Starliner Druid. 
Let me go pull up Star Aligner Druid, okay? I'm going to do this right now so that you guys see that this is this is a thing. Like, this is a real, you know, I'm not giving you some uh, fake. This is empirical evidence, right? We're, we're going to, we're looking directly at this. Okay, here's Star Aligner Druid, 18,000 games. Overview, 62% overall win rate. The best deck in wild, okay? People are going nuts about this deck, okay? They're going nuts. And by the way, an overall win rate, and this is, you know, all ranks, it is not the best deck, but, you know, people go nuts about it. 62% win rate, okay? So the best deck in the format only wins three out of five games? So you mean to tell me, in an hour, if I play five games, if I win three, if I go three and two, that's pretty common. And we're talking the OP deck, the deck that's broken. So if you as a player are expecting to win 80% to 100% of your games, and you think that going even in a session or even going 0-3 in a session is bad, then you need to stop being so discouraged because it does suck to lose, but you got to remember that oftentimes there are things out of your control, right? Like, you know, Hey, maybe they just draw the nut draw. Like if a deck draws the nut draw and you don't draw the nut draw, it doesn't matter what deck is quote unquote better. The other guy drew better. He's going to play out his cards. He's going to win. He's going to get to his win condition before you. This is the nature of games, nature of card games, okay? All you can do is build the best deck that you can play and hope that, you know, you execute it correctly. You know, you, you work out its mechanics as best as you can uh, to win. So you need to be accepting a variance, you know? Don't, don't be on tilt because someone, you know, top-decked, you know, a savage roar and went over your taunts or a swipe and went over your taunts to hit you for four, like... Sometimes these things happen, and the, the sooner you are willing to accept that you cannot control everything, the better you're going to be for it. The second thing, if you're trying to hit Legend for the first time, and you can do this without even having to go into the game, is to choose a good deck. And this is especially if you've never hit Legend before, okay? While it may be fun to make decks or build decks, like that's always one of the fun things. Um, if you've, if your goal is legend or if your goal is to hit, uh, you know, climb, then choosing a deck, a good deck is usually a lot better than trying to craft your own simply because you probably never crafted a good deck. So you don't know what a good one would look like, you know, and I'm not saying that you might not miraculously craft the special meta breaking deck, you know, that can very well happen, but in games like Hearthstone, where are, there are just thousands of games being played all the time, it's it's so much more efficient to play something that's already been optimized. You know, you, you have a sample size. Like, let's say if you're playing the fastest deck you can in two hours, you know, max you're playing is like 20 games. 20 games in two hours. Versus if you went on to HS replays or Vicious Syndicate or whatnot, and you net deck something that has 18,000 games played. 
you know, or a thousand games in the same in, in the same amount of time. You know, the sample size is way bigger. So they've optimized this way better. At the very least, you should get a basic deck, a good deck from there, and maybe change a key card or two to fit your perceived meta, right? Typically, <clears throat> this is pretty, um, I think this is pretty obvious or, or common, but if you're not rank five, and this is first, I'm going to talk about for people who are trying to hit legend for the first time. If you're not rank five and you're trying to, uh, you know, get there, um, you should choose a fast deck at the high, uh, like ranks 20 to five, and then rank up using that, uh, a deck that has games that are very quick. And then when you get from rank five down, you should use a deck that has, um, the best win rate. And the reason for this is when you're from rank 25 to five, you get the bonus stars. Um, so it's important to get on those streaks. And I think it's easier to get on those streaks and capture those by playing decks that are quicker where the games move faster uh, and they end earlier so that you're more likely to run into a streak. Right. Um, once you hit five though, there are no bonuses for winning multiples in a row. So you just want to play the best deck you can play. So at that point, you should concentrate on piloting whatever it is as well. I mean, you should always concentrate on playing your best. But from, from five to legend, that is just purely playing at the top of your game. Uh, you know, no misplays and playing the best deck for that meta. Right. So. Yeah, at that point, I think you can play a slower deck uh, if you know that you can pilot it better than the quick right the third thing is to take breaks to avoid tilt tilt happens to everybody um and actually you know it's funny because i wrote this tip two years ago and yesterday in my coaching session with sippy who's a really really good player this is one of the main takeaways he told me and i only play like an hour and a half to two hours a day and he he was like you know we we had a three-hour coaching session and this was one of the things that he was adamant about telling me was the most important thing. You know, walk away from the game after uh, a few hours, you know, or an hour, two hours, right? And, you know, that's, that's reassured me that this is an important point. You cannot spend too much time in the game because um, mental fatigue is a real thing. And it will get to you. And you may not notice that you're playing worse, but it's very possible that you are. Um also, I like to take a break whenever I lose multiple games in a row. Like, let's say I lose two or three games in a row. I'll sit back and, you know, maybe watch a replay or I'll switch. Like, if I'm playing standard, then I'll switch to wild for a couple of games just to get my mind reset, just so I'm not always thinking about the loss. Now, every after every loss, you should kind of, after every game, win or, lo win or lose, you should always think about uh, what plays you made exceptionally well and what plays you made exceptionally poor or you know where you may have misplayed because those are always important points and in improving into when you get into the next game um but i think sometimes you're just missing man you know it's yeah you know maybe the variance is uh hitting one one side right and uh you are just in a 
a bad spot. Take a break, you know, either play wild instead or just go watch TV for an hour or, or just call it and then play them play tomorrow. The game is always going to be there. You know what I'm saying? It's, you know, if you're on the legend grind, you're only, you're only, uh, uh, thing that you have to beat is yourself and time. And really you have a lot of time. So be willing to take breaks. The fourth thing I would suggest is to use a deck tracker. I don't understand why people don't do this yet. Like I know a lot of people do use it. Um, and I know a lot of people play on mobile and that, that maybe affects them. It affects me too. Uh, I'm, I'm lazy. I have a habit of playing on mobile a lot, but whenever I can, I love to play on desktop and I, I always have her deck tracker open. This is for a number of reasons. Okay. One of them is going to, uh, relate to our next point. Uh, but the other reason is because you know what? It's a lot easier to make decisions when you know what's left in your deck, the percentages you have to draw those cards, and you know what your opponents played. You know what I mean? Like a deck tracker is practically cheating. <laughs> like for for what it's worth, it's 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 crazy. It's information that you can perceive uh, if you had a good memory or a pen and paper, but it's just laid out for you visually in such an easy way for you to to digest it at any point in an active game. And it is going to boost your win rate by, I think, you know, I'd say five to 10% at the very least. And the reason being is like, man, being able to look at your entire deck throughout the course of the game makes you more cognizant of certain things like uh, where the out, is like you know what your outs are or what you need to play around or or well what the chance is that if you draw five cards off ultimate infestation here that you're going to draw into something that you need to win the game you know like that and and those things are hard to track without something like a tracker so so i think definitely playing with a deck tracker helps and also if you play with a deck tracker many of them like hearthstone deck trackers are integrated with hs replays so you're helping to contribute back to the community in terms of sample size and games played. And that's good. That's good for everyone involved, right? So make sure you get a tracker. It's also good for our next point, which is to analyze your losses. Okay. Um, no one likes to lose, but there's a valuable lesson that you can get from losing. Okay. You just got to take the time to see what that is. So sometimes you win because your opponent just played like they just drew better. There was probably no chance that you you could have had to win the game. But there are other times where maybe you made a small play on turn three or turn four, or maybe you mulliganed something away in your opening hand that actually caused you to lose tempo early in the game or to take two points of damage here, or maybe you missed a turn where you could have used hero power. Um that didn't seem so apparent in that situation, but, you know, was probably the better play. Those things add up. And these small, tiny mistakes, um, any of them could have been the ultimate thing that cost you the game. Or it could have been the culmination of all of those things that cost you the game. So it's important to see where you're making those small mistakes. 
And it could be as simple as mulliganing away something like Malfurion versus slow decks when Malfurion, drawing Malfurion is one of the best cards to win in a, in a particular matchup. And I think that's where a resource like HS replays can really be helpful and really studying the analytics and stats of different decks, mulligans, win rates, drawn win rates, played win rates, looking at a range of cards. And those are that's something for another lesson that and that's something I don't even fully understand. Um but you know that definitely that those things do help and that there are ways to use those tools to make you a better player. Cause I you know you'll realize that uh what seems like the best mulligan isn't uh Uh, isn't always the the best thing, so um, you know, and you, and it doesn't seem very. Uh, it's not very obvious sometimes, and you need either a resource like HS Replays or a coach to kind of tell you that, right? So that coincides with my sixth uh, thing about mindset, and which is to get a coach. I think it's one of the best things if you want to get better at Hearthstone. Okay. At the end of the day, self-improvement is good. But for many players, you need the reassurement, a reassurance that what you do is actually the right thing. And that's where a coach comes into line. I paid for many coaches. I paid for three coaches so far in my uh, Hearthstone career. Um, two of them... Like I, you know, one of them doesn't even play Hearthstone anymore. And I, you know, I feel like I'm probably a lot better than that player. Uh, another one was very helpful. And then the third one, which I just got yesterday, was Sippy Lee. So at any point in your gaming life, you know, you can always learn from somebody. I mean, I've hit Legend, you know, nine times at least, right? I, I'm a pretty decent player. I've played since the beta. But even still, even four years into the game's life, I still want to learn more. And I, I'm grateful to have uh, someone like Sippy Wee teach me, you know? And uh, and I, I learned so much from, from that session yesterday. And, you know, imagine that's me. That's me. And there's someone I've already played this game for a long time. But there was still so much to learn. And there's always something to learn. There's always more to learn, right? Um, so definitely think about making the investment into getting a good coach. You know, I'm not saying, you know, get sippy wee, you know. I'm not saying get me. But it might be good to get someone. And it doesn't have to cost money. Maybe you just ask someone that you know is good or has been at Legend or, or whatever your goal is or whatever deck you're trying to learn. Maybe you just ask them to watch a game or two of you play and, and see what if they can give you feedback. Um, yeah, because it helps. And really, honestly, for me, I got a coach the first time because I didn't hit Legend at the time. Although I had hit rank one in the beta and in the first season of the game, like extremely quickly. And I just really wasn't playing as much as uh, other people. But, um, you know, the coach was the reassurance that I could accomplish that goal. You know, that, hey, 
bro, you're going to lose a couple games. You're not going to hit legend in 25 games. It's going to take you. You might not hit it in 100 games. You might not hit it in 200 games. But you'll hit it. If you play and just play as well as you can, you'll get there because you're capable of winning at this at this rank. You know what I mean? And that, that was one of the biggest confidence boosters for me to actually hit legend and then hit it in, all, in, in numerous seasons. You know, don't get caught up in the grind. And I think having a coach is really a good uh, tool in reassuring you that you can reach that. Okay. And the last mindset core belief, I think, is that you should always have fun. It's a game, dude. Right? Hearthstone is just a game. If you're not having fun and you're not winning, then why are you playing? You know? I... You can... You can... Um, try as hard as you want, but if you're hitting your head against the door and, and you just don't enjoy the game, then don't play it. You know, remember why you play and just be okay with the fact that sometimes you're not going to win the games and just enjoy the games for what they are. Crazy games. You know, maybe you're playing zoo and you got a good board and the, the druid, he hits spreading plague. He top deck spreading plague. You know, he throws that out on the board and he stabilizes at one life and, you know, you don't get the soul fire. Like, so what? It happens, you know? Just it was that was crazy. It was crazy that that happened. And for you, you were on the receiving end. <laughs> but for your opponent, it was glorious. You know what I mean? Appreciate it for what it is. Don't don't get caught up in in all the negativity of, of what it may be. Next, we'll talk about mechanics. But give me two minutes. All right, guys. So for the first half of this uh, podcast, we talked about mindset. But now we're going to talk about mechanics, actual things you can do in every game to increase your win rate. Okay. Sometimes you're not going to do some of these things. But the majority of the time, every turn should consist of things that I'm going to talk about. And these are really simple things. Um, You probably know a lot of these before, but it's always important to reinstill these concepts in your mind, especially me, because sometimes I don't do these things or I don't think about these things. And, um, yeah, they might cost me. uh, They may prevent me from playing optimally by not thinking about them. All right. The first concept is simply playing on curve. And what that means is just using your mana efficiently every turn. On turn one, you have one mana. Turn two, you have two mana. Turn three, you have three mana, so on and so forth. So it behooves you every turn to maximize the use of your resource. On turn one, if you have a one drop, typically you want to play the one drop. On turn two, if you have a two drop, you want to play the two drop or use the hero power. Now on turn two, if you have a one drop and two drop in your hand, you should always play the... In most cases, you should play the two drop because if you play the one drop, that means you've used, you've left one mana on the board that you can't use efficiently. And on turn three, um, if you have, if you use the one drop, you no longer have it in your hand 
and now you have the turn the, the two drop. So if you play the two drop, you waste another mana because you have three mana and you only use two. In a correct situation, if it's turn two and you play the two drop, you use all the mana efficiently. And on turn three, you can play the one drop with the hero power. And that way, while it may be still a weak turn, you've used the mana better, right? And you haven't made the turn awkward for you. Like, this may seem like a very, very, like, minute detail, and maybe it doesn't matter in the long run, but it matters. It matters. Every turn you waste mana um, is a turn that you wasted tempo. And a real easy way to understand this is if you think about Druid decks and ramp, okay? Wild Growth on turn two. It gives them an extra mana crystal so that on turn three, they have four mana, okay? Um, imagine... Imagine it be turn be, imagine it being turn six and you're at six mana and your druid opponent is at ten mana. That's a very common occurrence. Okay, that means that on turn six, the druid has four mana advantage. On turn seven, he has three more of an ad mana advantage. On turn eight, he has two more of an ad, ad mana advantage. So that means over the course of those three turns, he has four seven, nine, nine mana more than you to work with over the course of that many turns. Now, whether or not he can use it, that's a different question, but it's been there for him. Okay. That's the power of ramp, right? And that's the power of mana. So that's why it's important that every turn you use those crystals. If you can, right, you use them as efficiently because if you're using them inefficiently, um, and your opponent is using them efficiently, then you're falling behind on tempo on the board, okay? Or value in the hand. Like, if you didn't, if you burned a mana on turn two, you burned a mana on turn three, you burned a mana on turn four, that's three mana more that your opponent has uh, had better use out of. Now, that may not, like, this is, is a hard concept to grasp on paper, uh, but in the actual game, like, you know, this there's a strong effect there, you know? The more you use the mana, the better your cards you have on the board or the better cards you've used. And hence, the better you're off you are in the game. So that is mechanic number one. Mechanic number two is always checking for lethal. And this is the one that I probably, one of the ones I fail at the most. Um, sometimes, especially with the way the game is now, uh, you can have mid-range board states where the guy's at 15 to 25 life and by just attacking face, you could probably win. Um, and it's important that you always try to identify in the early part of the round um, what that thing is. Like, how can you get lethal there? Lethal is important because you don't want to miss lethal. Missing lethal means you have given your opponent one more chance to kill you, and you've given yourself one more chance to make an a mistake, okay? Um, and you want to lessen that, okay? You want to give your opponent as as low um, or as little amount of chances to kill you. And you yourself want to make as, as few mistakes as possible, right? So by identifying lethal, 
on like on time, you're gonna you're gonna do those two things. Okay. One way to help identify lethal, since you only have like 90 seconds to play a Hearthstone turn, is to use your opponent's turn to think about your turn. Right? You know, use your entire turn, rope your turn, but during your opponent's turn, look at your board state, look at what he's dealing with, what he's leaving on the board, and think like, okay, well, I got 15 damage on board. Is it can I can I get there if he doesn't put a taunt and I have this swipe in hand or uh, what what cards do I need to d- top deck in order to make this board this puzzle a lethal puzzle, right? Um, so I think that's also very helpful in in improving. You know, just thinking of plays on your opponent's turn. You know, don't think that you only have the ninety seconds when your turn starts to think. You have the entire opponent's turn and your entire turn before to start planning this out, right? The only variable is what your opponent does on his turn, okay? And that's easy enough to kind of figure out. The next mechanical tip is to identify your win conditions. For some deck, like for some aggro decks, they just want to, you know, like the goal is like, okay, I'm trying to kill you by turn five to turn eight. If I don't, I'm dead, okay? That's that's fair enough. But some of these games... um, want to do that by trading first or some of them just want to go face and then find the rest of the burst from the hand those those depend but some decks their win conditions vastly differ i think about like a deck like patron warrior back in the day um a lot of times you want to just make a big board of patrons like you get four or five patrons on the board and your opponent just had no way of effectively dealing with it so they died right all your aggro opponents died because you had all these whirlwind effects and you made a board, and there was no way that they could come back from that because they had no way to efficiently kill a bunch of these three twos and three threes. Okay. In some matchups, you went for the OTK kill, like versus slow decks, like Priest. You would just kind of hold back, and you hold back a um, what is a Frothing Berserker, and then you would get a big Patron Warrior turn where you lay down the Frothing and gave a charge and attack for lethal, right? Uh, for the OTK. But one matchup, which is super polarizing, was Patron Warrior versus Control or Freeze Mage or whatever, Control Mage, whatever it was back in the day. A lot of people thought that it was a horrible matchup for Patron because, you know, hey, they have Flame Strike. They have Ice Block. They can, they can survive your OTK turn. But in the reality, that deck was like an 80, that matchup was an 80-20 matchup for Patron Warrior. All Patron Warrior had to do was keep up with your opponent in terms of draw, but not overdraw. Like, don't draw more than your opponent. But just make sure you always had to execute for, like, the Antonitis or whatever. And to just armor up every turn. Armor up every turn. And, you know, when your opponent was going to play Alexstrasza or when you felt like, you know, you had to worry about a combo soon, then you just play a wide board with patrons, put down an armor smith, and armor up more. And... There was no way that your opponent was going to beat you because even with Antonitis, they still had a finite number amount of damage, right? And it is crazy because I rode that matchup to an easy legend, okay? And and it's, you know, a lot of people know how to play that matchup, but so many did not. And, um, you know, just being able to identify how you win in a matchup is a very important thing. 
because especially with decks that are a little more complicated than you know zoo like you know or even like more uh even combo decks even like starline and druid like i've said like you know starline and druid just get the combo and combo off right most of the time yeah that's right but against the mirror no that's not right against the mirror you armor up get your combo pieces get lotheb wait for your opponent to combo then you combo him and you play Lotheb to lock him out. Because as long as you survive the turn, he's dead. He's not going to survive your turn. You know? And I that's that's the 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 thing about a lot of decks. And and you know, I always make this mistake with newer decks too, or with other archetypes, because I'm just not familiar playing them. I don't know. You know, Togwagwa Druid, I don't know like how you win versus even lock, right? I have an idea of what I think you know. I think I know what the win condition is, and I can use some stats or advice to to learn more. But you know, I don't. You know, I, I won't always know. So sometimes, like you know, if you don't know the information, you just got to find find out where it is. But the win condition isn't always the same thing, and that's an important thing to know. The next thing, the fourth thing about mechanics uh, is mulliganing. Uh, it's probably one of the hardest things to do in a game, and it's probably where many games are are decided. You know what you keep, what you don't keep. You can use HS Replay to help you give you an idea of what may be good or what cards statistically give you empirical evidence that they are good when drawn in a particular matchup. And I think that's very helpful um, and something I definitely need to use a lot more. Um, but incorrectly mulliganing uh, can cost you games. So obviously there are sometimes in aggressive matchups you don't want to keep greedy cards, but there's sometimes in greedy matchups where one or two cards, if you drew them, they significantly increase your win rate. So having them in your hand is vital. You know, just being able to play the card is vital. Even if it costs you seven turns, even if it's a seven mana card that you can't play now, if the card is that important for the matchup, it might work. Like uh I, I would say, like, if you're playing Mechathun Priest and uh, it's Hemet versus a, a slow deck, then, yeah, you need to keep the Hemet, even if you can't play it for six turns. So th- that is just one thing that's important, a mulliganing, making sure you get the right cards for certain matchups, uh, but also, you know, being conservative when you can, but also being aggressive with the mulligan when you need to. Conservative, I mean, playing anti-aggro cards or uh, keeping those playable cards in your hand and then aggressive meaning looking for the the slower cards to play in a greedier matchup you know or maybe you have like a two drop or three drop in your hand but it's not the best two or three drop in your deck and you know mulliganing those away so that you can get a one drop or a two drop that's better um because it'll just do so much more for you in the matchup right those are important types of mulligan decisions that you can only learn through either advice through coaching or through analysis of a huge sample size of games from other players. So keep that in mind. The next thing is playing to your outs. Uh, this is very similar to identifying win conditions, but there's a small difference here that I want to bring up. A lot of times people use the phrase playing not to lose instead of playing to win. 
when you play not to lose, that's like when you top deck something and you just play like a spreading plague for one because the guy's got a 12-12 inner fire thing hitting your face. Like that can be playing not to lose. At that point, you're just hoping that you top deck something that'll keep you alive or something. But in reality, maybe the play there is you're at 14 life um, and you're not going to like win unless you naturalize the guy in the next two or three turns. And you just so happen to have three cards left in the deck. Maybe you draw, you know, maybe you force to draw two there. Um, and then he, you know, even if you don't draw the naturalize, he hits you down to two life or something. You know, maybe you're at 16. He puts you down to two. You draw the naturalize, you kill him, you know. Or you draw the naturalize and you stabilize that too. Sometimes you have to realize that you got to take the risk. Um, you you got to take the risk to put you in the best situation to win the game. I think a good concept, and I, I don't know, I don't know who said it. I don't know if Meaty said this or if I heard this from um, Cream Puff, but I thought uh, this really stuck with me, and and. I'm glad they said it because now I can really apply this to this concept um, is that when you're winning, you should assume that your opponent has um, all of the outs, you know, that any number of things can get in your hand can kill you. Like if you have four creatures on board, he has a mind control tech, you know, uh, you know, he has the psychic scream on turn eight or, you know, whatever, like, but when you're losing, you just assume your opponent has nothing. Um, and I think, that 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 really resonates well because you know that's right when you're winning the only thing can that can happen is he top decks an answer and blows you out because you overcommitted you know so you got to play you got to play around those things like you know if if they're on a three turn clock is it essential to put another two damage on the board is it gonna change the speed of the clock no then don't right play around those you know. But when you're losing, is there a chance that he has a Leroy in hand or double Leroy and cold blood? Is that in reality? Yeah. But if you don't draw the naturalize in this turn or the next turn, you're going to die anyway. So just play around it and draw. And he might put you at two or he might put you at 14, which is in range for Leroy and double cold blood. But you know what? So be it. You're just going to have to play around that because if you don't, you wouldn't have won anyway. Right. And I think this is a very, very like tricky skill to, to know. And I it's probably this probably cost me many games, too, is where I just I'm so focused on not dying. You know, like I'm scared that, you know, I'll go to less than five life or less than 10 life. And I don't want to be there because out of fear of doom guards from the hand when the reality is I need to swing the board around now. I need to change the complexion of this game now, and I need to draw more cards to do that, or I need to find a particular answer faster in order to do that. So definitely learn to play to your outs, um, and that's where deck trackers really come in, in, in handy, you know, being able to see what's in the deck, what's left in the deck, and, and what the chances is of drawing it, and how you can increase those chances by drawing more or by, by stalling in a different way. The next thing is tempo versus value. I really won't touch too much upon this because uh, this is uh, 
it, it takes a lot of thought, but then this is a pretty easy concept to, to think about. Tempo being cards that come into play um, and either have are worth more than the stats may suggest, like you know playing a 3-4 on turn 3 or having an SI7 agent that deals 2 damage or something on the board and gives you a 3-3 value or a 3-3 minion on board. Uh, those are tempo plays. They help build the board, right? They put things on the board that give you initiative. Um, value being things that give you future uh, responses, right? Like playing thought steal or, uh, you know, something that draws you a card when it dies, you know, uh, there's an importance of knowing when to play one or the other and then watch what matchups either one is stronger at, right? In control, you want value versus aggro, you want tempo, you know? So, so being able to play the right cards, for the right situation is, is, is important skill, especially at the right time in a match. Um, and that's just knowing which cards do what is good because, you know, maybe your meta is full of aggressive decks. So maybe you want to put more tempo-based cards in it, you know, anti-aggressive types of cards. Or maybe your deck is full of slow, odd warrior control decks. So maybe you want to find more value in your deck. So knowing, knowing the different substitutions and different reasons why cards succeed in certain matchups is important. And the last mechanical thing I want to talk about is playing around power turns. So what this means is if you're challenging priest, you don't go wide on turn seven. You expect them to have like psychic screen, right? If a shaman is going super wide, one of these new shamans, and they play the card that gets them a five mana spell in hand, you expect that maybe they have bloodlust and you start dealing with that board, right? If it's past turn six versus a druid, you be cautious about how wide you go, especially if your creatures cannot deal with five health minions because of spreading plague, right? Turn five versus a, a, an odd rogue, you know, think about maybe they have giggling or, you know, versus any deck. Think that they might have giggling, right? Uh, you need to think about the, the strongest turns your opponents may play. If your druid opponent plays a dream petal florist, that means they're discounting something in the hand. And if they're playing the florist, there's a high chance that something in their hand is either Malagos, Togwag, or Azalina. So maybe that is the point where you go for, uh, um, you know, playing a demonic project or dirty rat and wild, whatever it may be, right? Or you're playing explosive rooms or whatever, you know, your, your druid opponent has 10 mana. He played Psych Melon already in wild. Okay, you know, let's <clears throat> stagger these secrets. Let's put explosive room this turn. Let's put potion of polymorph next turn. Because by doing that, you've bought yourself at least one turn by playing one secret. So you buy yourself two turns and there's a chance that you may have just won the game by doing that. Right. So uh, there, there are different ways to play around what your opponent wants to do. And the, the, the better you play around those things, uh, the more likely, likely are you're going to win those games. Right. The, the more likely your opponent's going to make a mistake. So, you know, think about that. So the, those are, those are the things I wanted to talk about today. It's kind of a lengthy podcast. We talked about mindset and mentality, you know, like how to get into the mindset that you play Hearthstone to have fun and to learn and to improve and that you can always have fun 
always learn, always improve, you know, and mechanics on, on things that you can do every game, like a, a, a style that you can play the game at and make cognizant, be cognizant of these values so that you're always playing optimal, making the optimal play. Thinking about the turn, like maybe you're sitting on turn, you're like, dude, I have no freaking clue what I'm going to do here. Then that's where you just take a step back and think about it. Well, do I have lethal? Well, how can I use my mana efficiency uh, efficiently with this nine mana that I have on board? What can my opponent do next turn? Am I playing into a power turn? Do I win the game right here? Do I win the game next turn? You know? Do I need to play for tempo? Do I need to play for value? Like, those are things you can ask when you don't know. You know, you don't know what to do. But by asking yourself those questions every turn, if you need to, you can get yourself out of a stuck situation or at least find a path to an answer. Because there are going to be multiple paths, you know. And maybe they're not all right. But there will be sometimes that they're not all wrong. So, so, so do think about those things. And another thing I want to talk about or just, like, let you off knowing is that <clears throat> sorry I'm coughing right now winning is a byproduct of playing better okay the better you play the more often you're gonna win that's simple but with that said that getting legend is just a byproduct of winning the better you, if you're winning more games by playing better then you're more likely to hit legend because you're winning more games. Okay? So try to find the the core thing that you need to do. If the goal is legend, yes, you need to play a significant amount of games. It's very likely. But you also just need to play better. And you also just need to have fun. Okay? And I, I think if you can just look at Hearthstone for what it is, a simple card game, you're going to improve greatly. And this is me saying this to you. Ken, 35-year-old man who's played since the beta, who's hit Legends nine times or so, ten times, I don't know, you know, who's been top 100 once, you know. I hit Legend in a nine-hour run one time. Like, you know, like... But am I a pro player? No. Am I, you know, I'm, do I hit legend all the time? No. Do I miss lethal? Yeah. Do I play poorly sometimes? Yeah. Do I make mistakes that I probably don't even know about? Yeah. But do I have fun? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Do I want to get better? Hell yeah. Do I think I'm pretty good at Hearthstone? Hell yeah, I think I'm pretty good. Is there still much to learn? Hell yeah, there's much to learn. And, 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 and it's that, you know, it's wanting to play, wanting to be better at this game. Like, that's why I'm so passionate about it. Like, really, honestly, man, Hearthstone is any Magic is like Hearthstone, but, you know, I love Hearthstone because I can just play it anytime, and it's so easy to improve. There's just so many resources. You know, I, I got to sit down with Sippy Weed, like, one of the best players in the world and and I learned so much from him and I, I and I want to do it again because I can learn way more you know and I and I think it's great like you guys should all go out there and try to learn learn more 
hell, teach me something. Tweet me something, man. That's it for this episode, guys. Next episode, we will talk in depth about Togwoggle Druid. Um, I try to share some of the things that CPUE maybe taught me about the turns of the deck um, and how we can change maybe a few cards here or there to to combat perceived metas. Uh, that will be a long episode as well. A pretty a pretty nice episode, I would think. Um, because I think Togwago Druid can be pretty tricky to play. Like, at least optimally. And I I'm, I'm don't even think I'm at the point where I'm playing it optimally. Uh, that's why I didn't want to go with that video today, or that podcast today. So that will be next week. Togwago Druid and Standard. Uh, how to play matchups, these particular matchups well, what the win conditions are in these matchups. Um, but yeah, that's it for this video. I, I don't think I will make another video or podcast of this type uh, again. I think we'll go back to just decks, unless this is something that you want in the future. So uh, let me know. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash HS. You can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Kinsanity. And you can find me on YouTube at youtube.com slash HS. I hope there was something that you could take away from today's episode. Um, and if there was another concept or mechanic or skill that you think is also very integral, because there are many, uh, let me know. Let me know. And we can add it on an amended list, you know. Um, anyway, thanks, guys, for listening. I appreciate all of you. I'm so in awe that we've got over 300-plus uh uh, listens to this podcast. It, it, it's really humbling. I'm glad you guys enjoy it. Um, and I will see you guys next time.